Welcome to the Global Council podcast, where we share our latest insights on recent developments in politics and policy in the UK, Europe and internationally. Hello, this is Stephen Adams, Global Council Senior Director in the GC office in London. Today I'm here with uh, Alex Dawson and Leo Ringer. Alex Dawson is the GC practice lead for Whitehall and Westminster in the UK. Leo Ringer is a senior advisor at GC. Today we're going to be talking about a report that GC helped author for the UK British Vehicle Rental and Leasing Association, which we published last week. The report was called Cars in the City, and it's essentially on the question of how we redesign the UK's urban mobility systems to reduce the environmental impact of car use. Um, but Leo, I remember you early in this project making the observation, which I think we make in the report as well, that when we think about the future of urban mobility, we often have in our minds a world in which the car has essentially disappeared. Um, it's a sun-drenched world in which we're all riding bicycles, walking on smooth pavements, um, if not flying on hoverboards. Um, but clearly, we currently live in a world which is essentially saturated by car use. And quite how we get from this world to that world uh, seems to raise a very big question about what's going to happen to all those cars. And essentially, this report is about that problem. So just start by framing the problem that we looked at in this report. You're, you're absolutely right, Stephen. When we sat down and waded through the massive literature around this, uh, what's very clear is there's a pretty high degree of consensus on where we want to get to, that kind of future that you you talked about. Um, and actually, there's, there's little disagreement about what we want to achieve. Better air quality, lower congestion, better journey times, more active travel. Um, but no one's really thought hard about, about that transition and how we get there and how we move from a situation in which car dependency is really high to one in which cars are used more intelligently, more flexibly, more thoughtfully, um, so that while they might remain the best mode for some journeys, um, they're not the default, the go-to, simply because a car is sitting out on someone's drive, uh, that they've had to think, oh, this is the right mode for the journey, um, and have I thought about the impact of this, of this choice, and is it the best one? So that was the question we set ourselves, is how can we think of some practical, sensible recommendations for both national and local government, and how they get from where we are now to where we want to be and how they can blend the use of carrots and sticks to help people move from this default dependency on the car to a much more thoughtful way of approaching the car. Right, and that's a the report starts essentially with a with a with a political economy analysis of how it, how we make this kind of policy now. Um, clearly, part of the challenge here is going to be thinking through how decision makers work together. Um, in this area, to what extent, Alex, do we do we have a sort of political economy problem on car use in the way government works and in the way we make policy on urban mobility? Well, I think it's actually a fairly significant uh, problem at the moment in that the DFT is split very much into its modal focuses and uh, focuses much more on things like roads rather than necessarily cars, and that's partly because other aspects of car policy are split up around. Whitehall. So, for example, taxation is run by HMT. Bayes in the business department will look at cars uh, with a view of kind of UK manufacturing and uh, how you encourage um, connected and autonomous vehicles, or be it with a little kind of unit uh, within DFT itself. Uh, DEFRA is looking at the car in terms of a source of pollution and how you kind of promote clean air policy. MHCLG is thinking about the car in relation to uh, planning policy and sort of how local government interacts with the car. 
And this actually is kind of replicated to some extent at local government level too, where you have different directorates, such as the parking department, the planning department, uh, the kind of uh, sort of the, the kind of enterprise section of the the council, all thinking about the car in slightly different ways. And this means that you end up with kind of a sort of a disjointed approach to the various levers and the carrots and sticks that Leo spoke about uh, in terms of car policy. And it's why actually two of our kind of key recommendations were really about government using its convening power to uh, actually look afresh at the car, look afresh at the fact that you've got 30 million uh, cars on the road in the UK uh, today, uh, and actually start to think in a kind of a coherent and structured way, or more coherent and more structured way, about how you make that transition from uh, where we are now to uh, to where we want to be in the future. And uh, on the national government side, that's creating a new mission under the Future Mobility Grand Challenge, which is very much kind of in vogue at the moment in central governments. It's the idea of mission-based policy making, where you sort of set a target and then you bring people together across government, across industry, in to kind of think about how you actually uh, deliver kind of smarter car use in future. And at local government level, it's about uh, encouraging local authorities to create urban mobility task forces, where they uh, will actually bring together the various disparate parts of local government into uh, hopefully something that will be kind of uh, better and more considered at driving a transition to smart car usership. So convening is clearly, the government's convening power, both, mm. at, both at the national and the local level, is clearly key. Some, sometimes that's more structural, may, maybe around the kind of working groups you've been describing, but sometimes it's just about making sure that policymakers are joining up the dots. Okay, so that's, th- th- those, are, those, are, those are process solutions. W- what do we recommend in the report, Leo, in terms of, in terms of actual substance of policy? Yeah, so I think getting to, to what Alex said about, about the capacity to think about cars strategically, one of the big limitations is, uh, is around local government uh, resources and spending, uh, whether that's on the capital side in terms of investing in the infrastructure we need to help urban centres make a change, install charging points, reframe public realm, um, but also simply on the resource side, that local authorities struggle for the capacity to think about this strategically. They're, they're firefighting, they're attending to day-to-day issues, and the ability to step back and think about this strategically depends on having uh, sustainable long-term revenue uh, that they can see and predict and bake into to plan. So we talk about five-year forward budgets for local authority transport planning teams uh, so they can get ahead. Uh, they do this in, in places like Greater Manchester where they have devolved settlements, but we think that model would work for local authorities around the UK, not just where they have uh, com- combined mayoral authorities. How, how daunting is the scale of the investment challenge here? It's hugely significant, and I think one of the things that we found is you get a lot of um, people talking about uh, electric vehicle charging infrastructure in particular as almost sort of the only challenge here. And actually, if you look at cities like uh, Bremen uh, and other cities in Europe, they've invested a lot in transforming the public realm, multimodal mobility hubs where you get car um, parking spaces, smart car parking spaces alongside uh, bike hubs next to maybe a tram or a train station. And it's that wider investment in the public realm including but beyond the EV charging infrastructure that I think is is going sort of under under thought about in the UK at the moment but also on that on that on that revenue side giving teams uh, essentially the headcount to take this seriously as a, as a local policy challenge and so we talk about bigger budgets we talk about longer term budgets and in particular uh, a flexible car connectivity fund as a way to give local authorities a specific resource to actually invest in uh, in this 
And this is funded out of general taxation or funded how? Yeah, so, um, you know, as Alex referenced earlier, we're in an environment where fiscally, I think the, the shackles of austerity are starting to unwind, whether that's if you look at the Labour Party platform or, or uh, the way that the, the prospective prime ministers are talking about fiscal policy, there is a sense that there is more money out there. Perhaps this is less of a uh, sexy political issue than, than some of the more um, uh, retail commitments around education spending or the NHS. But actually, if you think about how important this is on a, on a day-to-day basis for people in urban centres, actually, it has a it, it should come with a huge priority. And so we think that, that, that there is funding headroom there should ministers decide to prioritise this. Um, and equally on the tax side, there's a, there's a big challenge as well, um, partly because tax policy is controlled by the Treasury, not by the Transport Department. There is a, there is a kind of patchwork effect of the incentives baked into the, the UK kind of taxation regime for, for motorists, whether that's through vehicle excise duty, whether it's through company car tax or the incentives for electric vehicles. And what we, what we suggest is that, that ministers and officials need to step back and take a holistic review of the tax regime and say, is it creating the right incentives at the right time that enable people to make that? that choice about car usership and, and make more intelligent choices rather than, as we talked about, just defaulting to sort of owning owning a car. And we think there's a lot of scope there to reframe the way tax works to, to create the right incentives at the right time. I mean, I think obviously uh, a challenge is going to be with any of this is actually sort of encouraging politicians to operate outside of their silos. And that that's not just necessarily about bringing people together. Uh, and convening, important as that is, but it's about creating political space and courage. Now, kind of, uh, you know, a, a problem that the Treasury has had in recent years is that they've had to deal with uh, a system where actually they find it very difficult to raise uh, tax to just pay for our ongoing obligations in terms of public spending. So, for example, when the Treasury tried to reframe uh, national insurance contributions. Uh, a few years ago that went badly wrong and was rejected by Parliament uh, similarly they've been unable to raise fuel duty uh, for quite a long time they've been unable to um, they've seen falling, uh, uh, you know, a falling income tax base as well as more and more people are taken out of the personal allowance. Now obviously these are all policies that politicians have advanced previously but actually there is an opportunity now with the spending review coming up with actually sort of the big challenges um, as set out in the Grand challenges and sort of with the with the sort of body of work that they've inculcated actually over the last few years to now start to think in a bigger picture about uh, how you would actually use the tax system in a more efficient way. Now you'll get a lot of Treasury officials, for example, talking about the need to, um, for example, introduce a, a sort of a smarter system uh, of road pricing. But I think everyone realises that you need the politicians to. Uh, to kind of grip that and grasp that. Now, I think the question is whether you know we can see that changing in the next five to ten years. Um, and I think we've got a Labour Party that is now much more committed to um, tackling climate change, and certainly the words of John McDonnell over the last few months have been really leaning into the, uh, the claims of a kind of a climate emergency and the need to decarbonise. Similarly, the Conservative government has uh, talked about reaching net zero by 2050, it's legislated for it, and so actually we've got to see, see what the, uh, the the sticks are and the carrots are for politicians to actually adopt sometimes going to be quite difficult policy change, and realistically you're going to have to try and find a consensus across parties or across kind of polities uh, to make changes, and I think what's noticeable 
is that where you know when you're looking at Manchester or Birmingham or Leeds, uh, you're actually looking at uh, places that have kind of quite are kind of quite politically stable in terms of their partisan makeup, uh, and that's afforded them space to. Uh, make those kind of changes that we refer to in the report. But is the political will in those metropolitan jurisdictions is the the political will matched with the necessary resource though? Uh, I I think we would argue that there needs to be more resource but as Leo said with uh, both the Labour and the Conservative Party set to announce expansionary budgets, albeit one will be larger uh, to a degree than the other uh, there is that space and there's definitely a kind of a a space for greater devolution of power as well, which is actually a necessary corollary of, of kind of, it's kind of the other side of resourcing. There's kind of um, fiscal resourcing, but there's also political resourcing, and it's about making sure that individuals have the tools. And so, for example, West Yorkshire Combined Authority uh, have been kind of quite important in driving some of the changes in leads. Is there an extent to which you have a problem here potentially of trying to move too fast? I mean, do you think there is an issue with us understating the extent to which we're going to have to remain dependent on cars for the foreseeable future, at least in some ways? I mean, certainly outside of urban centres, presumably. Yeah, and I think the the debate over clean air zones actually encapsulates that, because what you see there is is the combination of the kind of the the politics of the car colliding with uh, local authorities, um, sense that they can assert charging um, it's a bit about the fiscal piece um, and it's a bit about actually are people able and ready to give up the car um, and when you start charging them are you just creating a set of, 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 of costs for households that may have no alternative so it really gets to this question of whether we are ready and how how ready are we to move quickly on, on dropping the car and it, it, you, you, we've seen the first batch of clean air zones kick into force obviously in London and there are others around the UK and, and that I think will show us how ready households are to actually make different choices about mobility. And you're exactly right. I think once you step outside of urban centres, it's clear that the dependency on the car is is much greater. And in the report, we sketch out um, the kinds of families, the kinds of households, uh, where they live and who they are and how that might affect their dependency on the car. And it's very clear that different people will move at different speeds and that policy needs to reflect that. So as cities like Leeds come to roll out their clean air zones, I think they're all on a learning journey about how fast they can move, how far they can move, and, and whether the stick of a, of a charge um, needs to be accompanied with, with other carrots, if you like. So in the report, we talk about mobility credits, um, which are essentially um, ways of giving people a bit of financial resource to make different mobility choices. So yes, it's a clean air zone, but here's a credit for you to spend on um, maybe... A, a flexible car or a tram or a bus ride that, that, that helps people make that transition from um, you know, from the car to another mode of transport. I mean, we're talking about sticks and carrots here, the sticks and carrots being applied in large measure to the consumer, but presumably there's a set of choices essentially for the private sector in here as well. I mean, what would you kind of draw out there? I mean, what are the, what are the, key, the key things we're going to need from business to make this work? So I think the certainly on the car side, there are a whole range of new operators and we sketch out the kind of new car choices, whether it's car subscriptions or sh- car sharing, ride sharing, car clubs, um, that provide a kind of a spectrum of choices for, for people. And the private sector is definitely ready to, to move, but it faces its own constraints. So one of the big issues that came through time and time again in researching the report was the role of parking. Um, and it's a kind of off-forgotten corner of, of local government policy and it, it's an issue where local government really does have control. 
but it's hugely um, important for the, the speed at which you can roll out uh, changes to the way you, you use cars and cities. And um, we heard examples of, of cities opening up to car clubs and giving eight, eight parking spaces for a city of, of five or six million people, which clearly isn't at the scale they need. So there is this tension between how fast the private sector wants to move and how fast local authorities are, are prepared to move. And, and in the report, but what's the barrier to expanding the scope for car club parking? Why, why, why would a local authority? move too slowly at the moment you have a very reliable source of income that albeit has to be ring fenced you can't make profit out of it uh, from uh, parking charges uh, and the more you free up but is that not just substituted from car club rental I mean what's uh, well it, the, the, the issue is much more that uh, the uh, a it's highly political so um, you will see in local elections coming up in May and every mayor around the country, uh, local councillors running campaigns on protecting car parking spaces for individuals. So, you know, there'll be a lot of people who want to guarantee that the space outside their house is for them and that other people can't take it and that other people can't use it. And this is perfectly understandable. Uh, and uh, you then combine that with the fact that a lot of the time uh, local authorities haven't been able to kind of grasp the opportunity, the digitalization of the curbside office them in terms of actually monetizing for example things like uh, package drop-offs um, or in fact things like car clubs uh, and when it comes to developers for example developing properties if they want to develop a property that they're then going to be able to sell for a higher price they want to be able to sell that property with a parking space for the individual who's living in that property rather than a, a shared parking space for example uh, for a uh, for a car club provider. Okay, but the, what you're describing is essentially uh, 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 the, the need to create a virtuous cycle, and where in which dropping personal vehicle use starts to open up more choice for local authorities in how to use these bits of the public space. Well, yeah, and and a transition to kind of a more digital based government. And there was a department for transport release actually. Uh, a few weeks ago while we were writing the report about encouraging greater digitalization of the of the curbside and and I think this is kind of gets to the argument that we're making which actually you're you're talking about convening powers you're also talking about money uh, and the more you provide that kind of combo of leadership and money the easier it is going to be to make that transition and I think in terms of actually sort of you know I personally found this quite surprising when we were talking to a lot of the car club providers, they were often saying, well, actually, the most important thing that you can do, uh, yeah, you know, there'll, there'll be bits of detail about car parking spaces, but it's also about um, uh, actually developing public transport networks that mean that people don't feel they need to sink that cost into having two or three cars every year at great expense that then sort of locks up their money into, um, you know, sort of very, very highly engineered metal that sits on their outside their house Depre depreciating for, for, fast for depreciating fast for 96% of the year this is an oft quoted oft repeated stat but 95 96% of uh, a car's time is spent just parked up on the side of a road uh, and really it's about kind of releasing that capital and being able to use that capital for uh, more efficiently really and and realistically any change to the tax system that national government is going to have to do is about using money more efficiently and if they want to try and develop changes to the tax system as well you've got to overcome a little bit of people's suspicion that they're being kind of taken for a ride and that this is simply being used any change to the tax system 
any change to clean air zone charging, for example, uh, you've got to persuade them that this is not about raising extra revenue for the government. It's about making sure that revenue is used much more smartly uh, and encourages um, uh, basically a sort of a better, better use of your cash as well. Do you think, Leo, that the politics are basically in the right place for the recommendations we've made in this report? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think we're, we're trying to be pragmatic and paint a picture of a kind of shared destination that no, no one's contesting where we want to get to. No one's contesting that these are really big, you know, air quality, as Alex said, in relation to the climate emergency, congestion, noise. These are really big sort of social policy problems that I think everyone understands, including the private sector operators. But there is this pragmatism about how we get there, and that's what we're driving at. So I think, you know, some of the recommendations are quite challenging. Um, for example, talking about, you know, should we be setting targets for the amount of parking allocated to, to flexible car use to really drive change? Um, but but they, do, they, they do aim to be practical and things that local authorities can pick up, understand and, and, and deploy. And, and in the, the back end of the report in particular, we, we set out some sort of toolkits that local authorities can use to sort of understand how to think about some of this stuff, think about the kind of urban area they're in, the kind of policies that might fit and not fit, because it's not as simple as just saying do this or do that. It, you, you need to take a strategic view. So I think... I think the, the politics are there. I think background factors like, like the climate debate and the fiscal context help. We have kind of cross-partisan recognition that this is an issue that needs tackling. The gap we're trying to fill is really that bit about how we get there and, and what we can do today to make that kind of shared ambition actually um, possible. Great. You can read the Cars in the City report on the Global Council website, which is www.global-council.co.uk. For more insights, blogs and analysis, you can visit our website www.global-council.co.uk and subscribe to our mailing list. You can also follow us on Twitter at global underscore council.